This podcast is created and produced by Innovator. If you're looking to cut back or eliminate hot work on your next job, or for all of your industrial services needs, visit innovator.ca. Hello and welcome to the Industrial Innovators Podcast, hosted by founder and CEO of Innovator, Don Cooper. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and this week we welcome back the GM of Innovator and subject matter expert on this week's topic, industrial line freezing. This is an isolation method offered by Innovator, and if you want more information or to get in touch, you can always do so at innovator.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome folks to the next episode of the Industrial Innovators podcast. Today I have our Integrator, General Manager, and Technical Director of Innovator back on an episode with us, Chris Coombs. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. And Chris, today we're going to talk about another interesting topic that a lot of people might have heard of, most people don't quite understand, and, uh, and we're going to dive deep into cryogenic line freezing to create isolations. Perfect. So, uh, Chris, you're a subject matter expert in line freezing, and I have uh, been a technician in line freezing for a lot of a lot of jobs in my career. So, I've experienced, um, and this is a this is a service line that I think a lot of clients can get a few things uh, misunderstand or or miss the rules of the game of what a successful line freeze needs to have to um, to uh, have a successful project and and there there are misunderstandings of 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 a few key must-haves on line freezing you know result in in either um in, in whether a job is successful or not and I've, I've experienced this a lot but you know, before we dive into those conditions, because I think if there's one thing that I want our listeners to hear about with with cryogenic line freezing, outside of what is it and how they can use it, is what they must have in place for it to be successful. Because a lot of people will want to try line freezing, and something about the project, uh, in terms of their conditions on the job, are not suitable for it, and then it ends up being. A, a lot of waste of time and energy and, and money if those are not in place. So I'm, I'm really I'm really looking forward to diving into this. But before we go there, what is line freezing? All right. So I'm going to describe first, and I'm going to use a term, and then I think we'll touch on this term a little later. But I'm going to classify line freezing as an alternative isolation. So you're you're creating an isolation in piping, you know, in pipe work, where in this case, you're using, you know, what we refer to as an ice plug. You're taking static fluid and you're freezing it from the outside of the piping. You're transferring that, that um, temperature through the pipe wall into the fluid and you're creating an ice or a frost plug in the location where the isolation is desired. Um, so that's really what uh, a line freeze is. And so, you know, why are clients doing this? What's like, what's the purpose? So the purpose is to, you know, do some work downstream of, of that isolation. So th there could be a number of different events. Um, sometimes it's to replace a leaking component. Sometimes it is to do an alteration to your system. You might want to tie in you know, some new piping, there's a branch connection, there's a T. So, you know, not necessarily the after the fact is not necessarily, you know, tied to if I use a line freeze or not. You know, you would do, if you were doing a hot tap and line stop with kind of mechanical means and you're doing some tie-in work, the tie-in work and the line freeze are, are independent of each other. So, you want to use a line freeze when you have your line is full of, of a liquid that you just cannot drain, right? You know, the, the flow is stopped, so you don't necessarily have an isolation issue, but you have a kilometer or two more of, you know, of a medium, most likely water, but it doesn't have to be water, and you just have nowhere for that fluid to go 
you want to tie in, you know, you have probably an eight foot section of pipe that you need to remove. So you use a line freeze so that you only have to drain that eight foot section versus a kilometer or two of piping. Right. And so, I mean, a lot of the time it's, you know, they can shut down the system, they can't drain it, but, you know, they're going to be tying in and they, you know, they don't have a valve. Yeah. They don't have a valve to isolate that larger segment of stored product to where they need to do a cut to drop in a T, to put in a valve, to install a blank, uh, whatever, whatever they're trying to do. I mean, I've done line freezes where they had no isolation for a heat exchanger. They could shut in the unit, but they had hundreds of meters of, of, of line to the, to the isolation valve and they needed a way to isolate closer to, and then, you know, a few, closer to a valve that was failing, they needed to switch out or closer to a heat exchanger that didn't have any uh, isolation valves to isolate one particular uh, heat exchanger from the other components. So there's, you know, there's lots of different reasons why I see clients, uh, clients doing this. Yeah, so like the line can be under pressure um, and preferably I would like to see some pressure in the line. So you can have a source like, you know, you mentioned your heat exchanger. Well, when I say isolation, it doesn't necessarily need to be isolated between two points. It just needs a block valve on the downstream somewhere further down than where you want to perform the work. That's creating that no flow condition, but it doesn't have to be completely isolated from an operating piece of equipment. Right. So uh, before we dive into the conditions in which uh, a freeze plug can work, because I, I really want to make sure we cover that, but I want to just um, compare this to what are the, what are the other alternatives that, that clients are potentially using traditionally if they're not using a freeze plug? The, the one that, the first one that comes to mind and, and probably the most common is what I've just mentioned, which is that hot tap and line stop. So you're performing hot work, you're performing welding on a live line, you're, you're welding a fitting, you're using a you know, large drill, a hot tap machine to, to drill a hole in that line. And then you're utilizing a technology called line stopping where you insert a plug, a mechanical plug into the line to create that isolation. So very, very involved process, a lot of hot work, a um, lot of uh, other factors involved when in performing that isolation. So that would be one of the more common approaches. You know, and then there, there's other, you know, there's maybe some more traditional ways that, you know, the isolations are created in, um, in, in pipelines and different things. There's another version of the line stop that could be, you know, an inflatable type device that you could insert, which would still then require that hot tap, you know, cutting the hole in the line and the welding. So we're comparing this essentially, you know, the cold work, not to kind of create a pun on line freezing and cold work, but it is your cold work alternative to hot tapping and line stopping. Right. You know, I've, I've done line stop projects where the, the variety of isolations that a client requires to work on um, can be intricate because, you know, as you know, most piping systems don't go from point A to point B. They have many takeoffs and they go to different points. You know, they have T's, they have uh, various, you know, one line may feed multiple uh, pieces of equipment throughout the process unit. And so, Sometimes, and, and, and particularly um, what I think about is sometimes I've used a hot tap line stop to create that initial way to shut in the system and then used freeze plugs in, in branch connections to create a more cost effective cold work solution uh, so we didn't need to use multiple uh, hot taps and line stops. So these, these technologies compete with each other, but they also augment each other if you're working with someone who offers both of those capabilities um, in a way that creates the best project plan. So I, I've seen that. And, you know, sometimes, and, and we're going to get into this in a minute, uh, sometimes you're combining a freeze plug with even 
leak repair technologies where you're killing a valve and then performing a freeze plug after you've killed a valve and you're combining um, some some valve isolation capabilities using leak repair technology and then leveraging a freeze plug to give you that uh, that more secure um, isolation uh, that isn't relying on simply injecting some packing. So there's a, 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 a lot of ways that the technology can be utilized and combined with other other solutions as a one of the tools in your toolkit as a, as a facility operator for creating isolations when you don't have adequate valve valve isolation systems. Perfect. So, um, Chris, what about what are the conditions? Like, you know, there are certain conditions that must be in place for line freezing to be achievable, and let's just hone in on that because. I, I, we have these conversations with clients many, many times, and uh, whenever these jobs, uh, whenever these, the, this technology gets planned, clients may try to interpret these conditions. And I, I want to really hone in on what, what needs to be in place for a line freeze to be achievable. For sure. So, I mean, to start off with the obvious is you need a freezable medium, right? Um, and we typically, to, to do a, a rule of thumb, we say a freezable medium is anything with 70% water content. That doesn't mean you can't create ice plugs with other fluids, other mediums. It, it's, you know, the, the standard I'll use is 70% water content. Um, and then when you go from there, you, you need something, you know, you want static conditions, so no flow. Right? So the two main conditions that you look for is freezable, 70% water, no flow condition. If you, have, if you have both of those, then you will achieve an ice plug. And there's really, you know, temperature comes into play. But again, if you have that static condition, then you will eventually overcome those temperature gradients and create the plug. It may factor into how much you know, planning how much nitrogen your prediction on the freeze time. So we can talk about temperature in a second, but with those two main conditions, you will achieve a plug. Now there's other factors as well that we would consider, you know, the condition of the pipe. Is, is the pipe in, you know, is the pipe integrity intact? So we would perform some NDE on the pipe to make sure that there's sufficient wall thickness, to make sure that there's no surface cracking in the pipe material. A proximity to a weld or to an elbow are, are two important factors that we consider and spacing the line freeze location x amount of pipe diameters away from a weld. So there's there's definitely some conditions that we look at to overall make it a successful and safe line freeze. But again the two most important conditions I would say I mean there is 70% water content and no flow. And so, you know, a freezable medium, ideally water content, uh, as you say, uh, no flow. Now, no flow, what does that mean? Does that mean very little flow? Does that mean insignificant flow? Does that mean half a foot per second flow? What does no flow mean in, in the context of not in the context of, of, of process engineering, but in the context of achieving a freeze plug. So no flow means no flow, right? And, and I really mean that it means static, no flow. Now, don't, um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be lying if I said that a freeze in some cases couldn't be achieved when there's flow because it's happened. I've been on them. I've been on them with a very small leak and we've managed to get a freeze plug. There's studies actually performed on diameters with acceptable flow rates. Those change, and then you're, you're adding different conditions to those flow rates. So those flow rates, you know, maybe we'll talk about convection currents a little later, but then you're stacking convection current on an already flow rate. And what happens is your predictability on the ice plug, it goes out the window. And what should have been a two hour freeze is now a 24 hour freeze 
with no end in sight. The plug could grab on the 25th hour or you might be 48 hours and you're still trying. So when we say no flow, if you want to have a successful experience with line freezing, you know, successful isolation, hot work complete, cost assurance, you know, schedule assurance, all those things. If you want to have a successful experience with line freezing, we need no flow, zero. I've often had clients interpret that and, and say, well, I said no flow, but it's, it's insignificant. You know, it's a 16 inch line. When, when this thing is running, you know, it's flowing at 10 feet per second and we're down to, you know, less than half a foot per second. And so we consider that no flow. And then and what's happened, the experience is we might have planned for that 16 inch freeze to take eight hours or 10 hours to, um, to achieve a freeze plug. And at, at the, after 12 hours, we still have not achieved a freeze plug and we're still pumping nitrogen. And then we're trying to figure out what's going on. And almost every time when, you know, we have very precise pr pro procedures that predict how much nitrogen we're going to need to achieve a freeze plug, how long it should take to achieve that freeze plug, and even how much nitrogen we need to maintain the freeze plug once, um, once it's been achieved. And, you know, it can throw a lot of things into the loop if you have this unknown variable that gets introduced because if, if we're planning on having a taking 12 hours to achieve a freeze and then we need to hold the freeze for the client for say 48 hours for them to do their work and we plant enough nitrogen for that um, all of a sudden you're past the 12 hour mark and you're still pumping nitrogen just to get the plug and it takes you 24 or 36 hours to get the plug you could face running out of nitrogen uh, because the work still needs to get done. And now you're faced in the middle of a freeze, and I've ha had it happen at 2 o'clock in the morning, calling your supply chain to get another tanker of nitrogen here, you know, to keep the job going. Because if you run out of nitrogen and you're 50% of the way there, you're going to lose everything that you did if you can't keep moving. That's right. That's right. And those you know, are the – you know, that what you're describing, it probably keeps a lot of people from attempting to use this technology. And I don't say it, I shouldn't say attempting. I mean, choosing to use this technology because it's very successful. Um, but, you know, without the right information and the right planning, you can run into some of those, but you're going to run into those hurdles with any service if you don't consider the, um, the parameters up front. Yeah, I mean, what... What, what I try to explain to clients myself when I'm talking about a freeze plug and they say, hey, I've, I've got very little flow and they describe it as, you know, two or five percent of what is normal and they consider that no flow for their process engineering standpoint and they describe, hey, I've only got a half a foot or a one foot, you know, whatever, whatever the flow rate is that seems insignificant to them. What, what I try to explain to them is, you know, the nature of of a freeze plug is the freeze plug starts on the outside or on the very inside of the pipe and, and moves in in, in in a conical way so that the, the opening in the freeze plug is, is gradually getting smaller and smaller towards the center of where the, where, when, when the center of the plug freezes, that's when the, the freeze plug is achieved. If you have a little bit of flow, you may, you may start to accomplish a freeze, and as you're constricting that opening, that half a foot of flow is now being pushed through the last one inch and just flowing through there at, you know, at 10 feet per second. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. And so that's, that's what people need to understand is we, we, we want no flow because what you interpret as, as significant is in the process of freezing – the, the medium flowing through the freeze area speeds up as we constrict that opening. Yeah. So put that in the, again, to kind of emphasize the importance of no flow, you know, we can consider an option where there is no flow, right? So we've got no flow in the line whatsoever, but the location of the freeze in comparison to while we're isolating, 
you know, potential heat source and the freeze being above that location. So, you know, we have, in that sense, we can create some convection current where you have cold, dense water falling to the bottom, warm, you know, less dense water rising to the top and creating this current through the ice plug. So we've actually created flow in the freezing process significant enough to prevent it from forming without even having flow in the line. So the reason I say that is just to emphasize the importance of no flow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this idea of convection that you're talking about, I remember it was about, so date me a little bit, but I think this was, there was an upgrader in the oil sands that uh, was built uh, 20 years ago. And in the first couple of years after startup, I remember being, we, we were conducting an 18 inch freeze using some new technology. Um, and we were actually, it was a test for the client because we were using freeze coils as opposed to a freeze jacket because they wanted to, they wanted to freeze amine uh, on an elbow. And this was, this was all R and D that we were doing with the client. And, and we, we ended up being successful with that using a different, uh, a different freeze technology that allowed us to control um, the, the, the freeze and achieve, you know, a slug of amine in this, um, in this elbow. But we were there doing this testing and in the middle of this project, um, the client had a 12 inch uh, isolation issue. Uh, they, they had a valve passing and the, uh, the maintenance engineer came to, uh, came to me and uh, he was the maintenance engineer, engineering manager for the unit. He said, Hey, can you get a, can you get a, uh, uh, a 12 inch jacket and we want to try to freeze this thing. And I went and looked at the job. And so the valve was sitting uh, about uh, one meter above a header off of an elbow and a very short, uh, a short pup piece between the elbow and, and the valve. And we were having the freeze between the elbow and the valve above the header. And, um, and we pumped night. And I said, you know, that there's a high likelihood that we're not going to get a freeze. We're way too close to the header. All of the work we're doing to freeze the, the, the system, that, that cold medium is going to fall into the header and we're going to be getting a lot of convection currents from, from the header. And he said, that's okay. Let's just give it a shot. And you know, if we can, it, it's worth it to me to give it a shot for 24 hours. And, uh, and you know, we, we knew going in, it was highly unlikely, but he was adamant. We have the resources here. We want to give this a shot because it's really, you know, we, we need to figure out if we can try to isolate this system. And we pumped nitrogen for 24 hours nonstop. And uh, it was just convection. We just, even though there was no flow, we were too close to a header that was below us and we were getting convection and, and it just didn't work. And so I've got a real life example where I, you know, where convection was just, and, and that exact situation where we were having our, 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 the cooling was dropping and the heat was rising near, too close to, to that convection source and it, it just didn't work. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I remember another project, and in this case, we were freezing uh, an eight-inch bitumen line, um, and, um, and it was so the client could do some uh, a very quick 24-hour maintenance on one heat exchanger. They didn't have a, enough isolation, and we, you know, you, you, we weren't, you know, in the, in, in the conventional sense, we weren't creating a ice plug in the bitumen line. We were, we were solidifying the bitumen to create this, this tar plug effectively. Um, and um, we had, you know, tons of nitrogen. We had two full tankers of nitrogen and we only needed half of a tank to for to achieve the, the, the plug and to hold it for their planned maintenance uh, time frame and we were there for and again guaranteed no flow it was on the weekend and uh, we had been pumping nitrogen for about 18 hours when it should have taken us I think the at the time frame this was a six or eight hour planned freeze and the we knew and we didn't get any convection we knew somewhere in that system there had to be 
flow. Some some valve was open open somewhere, causing flow to go through this line. All of the operations team assured us, no, everything's closed, everything's closed. And at the end of the second shift, a uh, an experienced operator in that unit had been there for years, came on shift, came over to talk to us. I explained, look, you know, everyone tells us there's no flow. There's no, all the valves are shut in. Everything's locked. And he said, I know exactly what's going on here. And there was a three quarter inch bypass valve about 200 meters away um, in the unit that was tied into this system that they never ever used, but that he knew was always open. Um, and uh, so he and I walked over, we, he spotted the valve, he closed the valve, he locked the valve, and about somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes later, the entire system went and just and, it, and the freeze was achieved. And we had been pumping nitrogen for 24 hours. And, and of course, we're not the operators. We don't know every valve in their system and, and all of the intricacies of where that system may tie in and go. And as soon as we had an operator who really knew that system, he could instantly uh, identify where there was a valve that he knew was a bypass, was always open. They never, ever used it. And some of the more junior operators wouldn't have known about it because they probably hadn't stroked that valve in three years. And, and uh, he knew exactly where it was, closed it up, and we instantly got a freeze. And it was, it was really, uh, and it, you know, those two examples are really interesting in successes and failures, all to do with convection and all to do with um, oh, we got, we've got little flow or we, you know, we didn't know we had that one valve that was open. So, you know, focusing in on no flow and, and, and having good communication because sometimes when you're planning these projects, you're planning it with a maintenance planner or with a, an area engineer. And I think this no flow state, what I've found is key is making sure you involve the operations team and identifying all the potential ways that flow could be introduced so that you really have a successful plan to, uh, to accomplish the, the freeze and, 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 and get the job done and not run out of nitrogen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Chris, um, you're probably more familiar with this. I know, you know, over the years I've read studies on this, but, you know, has the freeze plug technology freeze plug approach been tested and, and by whom? It, it has, yeah. So, I mean, just kind of quickly, you know, we've tested it, right? So contractors will test this process. And I know, I know of multiple contractors, um, you know, competitors in our space that, that test this process. And, you know, we typically test it on a range of piping, piping diameter. And then hydro test behind these plugs just to show the adhesion strength and the holding power of these of the plugs. So there's a lot of testing done by service providers. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 PSI pressure tests and the ice plug not moving. So that's something that's done on a regular basis. But there's also, and what's more important probably to our listeners, is the third party testing, you know, independent organizations who are testing these plugs been hired by, you know, different industries. And, and one of the biggest ones is the nuclear industry. So nuclear uses this technology very, it's very common nuclear industry in their outages. And they hired an organization um, called EPRI, which done a large study on online, online freezing producer report and, you know, we base a lot of our procedures, some of the predictions that we do on nitrogen consumption, and we base a lot of that information on these types of third, independent third-party reports. Um, it's, it's also talked about inside of ASME as well. You know, you take ASME PCC2, um, the repair code, it, it gets into some options on line freezing as well. So it's, um, it's not one of these things that's just somebody came up with and, you know, the, the technology exists in experience of a few people. It, it's, um, it's an industry wide accepted um, service. I've, uh, 
you know that I'm a hoarder of information. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I have the, uh, the EPRI uh, freeze plug testing reports. Uh, EPRI stands for the Electric Power Research Institute, which, you know, did all of this testing specifically for the nuclear industry. Also got the sections on, on freeze plugs in PCC2. So if any of our listeners haven't, haven't ever seen these, um, these studies, uh, you know, reach out to us. We're happy to give you copies of these tests if you uh, ever want to do a deep dive into into the testings and the findings and the guidelines that uh, that are available. But there's robust industry-supported testing that is independent of us contractors. And you know, and and we as a as a cryogenic freeze plug contractor have based all of our procedures and processes on all those industry studies. We have developed our systems to, to uh, match those best practice guidelines. Uh, Chris, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the risks. I, you know, they're, they're in, in any, any kind of isolation that you introduce, whether it's a mechanical plug or a line stop or a leak repair process um, and cryogenic freeze plugs, there are hazards um, that need to be uh, reviewed, considered, mitigated. Um, so, you know, with line freezing, what are, what are the kinds of hazards and risks that people need to be aware of and, and have, have, a, have a hazard, a mitigation plan in place? Sure. So uh, let's try and maybe and break this up into two categories. Um, we'll talk about the risks associated with you know, the pressure, the integrity of pressure containment. So, you know, the piping itself, we'll talk a little bit about the risks associated there. And then, and then we can talk about some of the, the safety risks, you know, for the personnel involved in performing the activity. So, I mean, what comes to mind, you know, when we talk about freezing in, in piping, you know, freezing water in piping, well, what's the first thing that comes, comes to your mind? Uh, rupture. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, you know, and that's what everyone has a fear of is, you know, well, you're going to freeze and my pipe's going to burst. But the reality is the pipe doesn't burst because of ice or water expansion. It's not the expansion, expanding force of the ice that causes your pipe to burst. It's now that isolation is in place and there's a pressure buildup, right? You didn't account for that isolation. Your line is continually building pressure. And that pressure could just be because of the growth of the plug itself, right? So if you have an ice plug forming and a block valve a short distance away, the growth of that ice plug is taking up space inside your piping. You're compressing that fluid. You're building pressure to a point where it's eventually going to rupture. So that's what happens when a pipe bursts. It's not the ice. It's not the ice itself. It's actually, it's, it's actually the liquid that's trapped between where the, freeze plug is and wherever the blockage is, whether that's a valve or whatever, it's the liquid that will cause the rupture. Exactly. So what we do, so then that's the risk, right? So just like you have a risk when you have an uncontrolled freeze, you know, what makes this a controlled freeze is we select the location. We select the location that's a safe distance away from a block valve, or we incorporate a pressure relief system between the two. And sometimes that pressure relief can be a drain valve. Sometimes we do, you know, a quick leak repair type activity where we drill and inject and we can put an injector into a flange or into piping, into a fitting. You know, typically that fitting is going to be, you know, could be the reason we're doing the freeze. So you're, def you know, you're creating a hole in that fitting with an injector and, a, and, a, and then a gauge, but that fitting is being removed anyway. So not, not a big deal. But one of the biggest things, the biggest risk, one of the biggest risks is pipe rupture. And you prevent that from happening by understanding what your pressure buildup distance is or what you know, area of the pipe that you could potentially build pressure. Make sure that you're a safe distance away. So we're talking 20 pipe diameters away. And if you can't get 20 pipe diameters away, then you have a pressure relief in place. So that's one of the biggest risks. And that 20 pipe diameters is part of the evaluation of the suitability of the freeze and the location that you're going to select for the freeze, right? As you're looking at that 
as a guiding principle of, of placement and suitability. Absolutely. And this is very, you know, this, this can be calculated, you know, it's very exact. The, the engineering behind it isn't that difficult. You have a plug that you can predict the growth you, and then now you have a volume of liquid and you're going to be reducing that volume. So very easily you can predict the pressure and, and predict the growth of the plug and determine what distance you need to be away. We use 20 pipe diameters as, as a, you know, a safe rule of thumb. I'm sure you could come up with a calculation that would bring you within 10, depending on your size or, or maybe even closer. Um, we, we use that 20 as a standard. The next thing to look for is, you know, do you have any defects in your piping? Um, so I mentioned this earlier, you know, we do some NDE. You wanna, there, there are high forces, you know, you think about what's happening. So you have a, a nice plug inside your pipe expanding. So that's putting a radial force on your pipe. And then you have your pipe itself contracting. So these two opposing forces working against each other, they're putting some high stress and strain on your piping. So what we look for, we wanna make sure that your pipe wall is not compromised so that you're within your mill tolerance of your piping. So if you're a standard wall, then we look to make sure that through UT readings that you're reporting you know, typical standard wall thickness. And then we do a, a lamination scan to make sure there's no cracks or defects in the piping that could then be ex, you know, extended based on this process happening. So we eliminate those types of, of risks by doing NDE. And then the last thing I'll mention is about distance to welds or growth into a fitting, for instance. So you mentioned your elbow example. If I was gonna freeze just upstream of an elbow, you know, you could grow your plug into that elbow. The reason, you know, one of the best reasons why expansion doesn't cause your pipe to burst is because it grows longitudinally. It doesn't need to grow out, it grows longitudinally, but if you're gonna prevent that growth in the longitudinal direction, then you're gonna have other issues with the wanting to expand at a different rate. So distance from fittings, distance from welds, and ensure that you have you know, distance from your isolation point and ensuring you have good sound piping that you're working with. Those are the main integrity risks and, and how, you, how, how you account for them. Right. So, so then we go to, we're gonna talk about some of the safety risks, yeah. uh, I guess. Yeah, let's, um, let's talk. I mean, those, those are risks around the integrity of your system and making sure you're designing the plug to perform and not compromise the um, any defects that are in the piping, welds, or building pressure that could cause a rupture. And, and those are all the things that we're thinking about in, in the same way that you would interpret you know, if you had water freeze in your piping in your home, all of those things are what caused that rupture. Yeah. And so we're, we're looking at all of those potential risk factors on the piping and the location and the condition to prevent any failures of the system. But there are also personal safety concerns that we need to mitigate around protecting um, our workers, our, our clients, people. So let's talk about what are the, what are the safety, um, safety concerns. Yeah, so I would say the main, you know, there's a lot of different individual concerns and 90% of them stem from the freezing medium that's being used. So in the most common freezing medium we're using is liquid nitrogen. And, you know, in the liquid form, um, I, I should, you know, we're talking minus, um, I said minus 140 degrees Celsius, maybe. I'm probably getting that wrong right now. I, I normally have my numbers pretty clear, but we're, you know, it, it's, it's something that when it's exposed to your skin, it's going to burn you, right? It's not, it's going to, you're going to have extreme burns from, from liquid nitrogen. So that's one of the, you know, the main concerns and making sure that our personnel are equipped with proper PPE for the handling of liquid nitrogen. So that means vests, that means gloves, that means face shields, all these things that's going to pre prevent or protect the people from liquid nitrogen. So we have liquid nitrogen flowing, but the liquid nitrogen, what we do is that we take, you know, the, that thermal energy from the liquid nitrogen and we transfer it to the piping. 
And what happens when the liquid nitrogen heats up is it boils and then forms nitrogen gas, which presents a different realm of risks. Nitrogen being heavier than air creates, or heavier than oxygen, I should say, sorry, not heavier than air, um, creates an oxygen deficient atmosphere. So understanding that if you're working in a confined space, if you're working in a trench, that you could potentially have your workers exposed to that oxygen deficient atmosphere and you need to have appropriate plans in place, whether that's ventilation, whether that's supplied air, self-contained breathing apparatus, you need to have those considerations in your plan so that you keep your workers safe. Because the risk is asphyxiation. That's right. right. And one of the advances in technology that's really helped with that is the double wild freeze jacket. So we use double wall freeze jackets. It's the jacket itself is completely contained and we vent nitrogen to a safe location. So you would identify that you would, you know, up and away from your, your, your work location. You would make sure that you assess the wind direction so that it's not blowing back to the work location. You know, the, the old method was using a bath style jacket and the, and the nitrogen is just boiling off in the atmosphere right at the location. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I was intricately involved in, in this transition. You know, when I first started performing uh, freeze plugs, you're using these, these uh, quenched bath style jackets that have a split line. You're using a, a mastic rubber to try to seal the, you know, it's almost like the best way to describe the traditional uh, freeze jacket is it's like a leak containment device um, that you're putting around the piping that you need to use a, you know, a, a rubber mastic and it bolts together. And all of those components at the split line between the two jackets and around the pipe are all uh, leak sources that you're effectively trying to gasket and then bolt together and trying to make sure that the nitrogen stays inside the chamber and doesn't leak out through all of those, uh, those joint components. And it's, it's an ever, you know, you're, you're fighting that battle with that, with that technology regularly. Um, and I remember a nuclear client coming to me about, about 18 years ago and saying, Hey, we want to get away from, we want to get away from these style of jackets. And we came up with the idea of a, a double wall jacket and we, we, we designed them, had our engineering team design them. And we built the first few um, double wall jackets for our nuclear client here in Canada. And then uh, fast forward to, uh, to innovator and, you know, our instant approach right from day one was double wall jackets where there are no split lines. the, the nitrogen is flowing into a encased chamber that is like a clamshell that that you you swing and, and attach to the piping, but there are no split lines uh, or gasketed joints where the lick, the nitrogen is is potentially going to leak out near the work area, and you effectively have a chimney that is allowing you to direct the vapor wherever you want it to go. Absolutely, and you know there one additional risk. That it, and it was, you know, because of now the double wall jacket and the benefits of venting to a safe location. What I have seen with inexperienced personnel, the expansion rate of nitrogen, you know, is extremely fast. So your your nitrogen is expanding inside the jacket faster than what it's venting out, and jackets are not designed to be pressure retaining. They're, they're open to atmosphere. So there's, there's a fill, we'll, we'll just say there's a fill and a vent on a jacket and the vent is designed to be larger than the fill point. So they help you get the gas out faster. I've seen people reverse that location, you know, maybe in a traditional sense, your, your fill is typically bigger than your vent. You know, you think about some venting applications, they reverse that and had pressure build up inside a jacket due to nitrogen gas expansion and had failure of the jacket. So, right. you know, really important to understand they, this process. Just by, just by misuse, they created a choke point. That's right. Um, you know, this is a very simple process of freezing. You know, you can't get much simpler than freezing water, um, but that doesn't take away, you know, simple isn't always easy. Um, 
So it's, um, there's, there's steps involved and some important steps. Yeah. What are, uh, what types of facilities do you think and clients would benefit from, from using freeze technology? Um, you know, I, I could easily say, I, I think everyone can benefit from freeze technology, you know, in the sense that, you know, anyone who would have experienced maintenance activities where they have a process and they they can't shut down that process. Right now, you know, looking at a facility and say, well, we don't have a lot of freezable medium. And in, in that case, you know, maybe it's not the right technology for you. You know, looking at a, a nuclear industry where there's a lot of water, a lot of heavy water, um, it's an it's an excellent way to to perform maintenance, and it's used in outages. Kind of, it would, might be a unique way to think about it. It's not used to create an isolation of a flowing medium. It's just there to prevent draining, right? It's there to prevent you from having to, you know, suck out um, the you know this process. Maybe it's flowing into a ditch and you have environmental concerns. There's a lot of benefits that you can have to just creating a very small, safe work area to complete your tie-in and then, you know, have reinstate your line when that's complete. So any facility that performs maintenance on live piping is, this is a perfect application. And also, I guess I would like to add, you know, anyone who's very conscious of, you know, what it takes to perform hot work and the risks involved with performing hot work. Um, you know, people looking to decrease the amount of hot work that they do in their facility, this would be a great way to accomplish that. You know, I, this facility uh, question on, you know, and the idea that they don't have freezable medium, um, you know, I think when, I think what clients need to think about is, well, don't make that call. Like we can consult with you to figure out if this is a suitable application. And, and the reason I say that is I have used freeze plugs for products that don't contain water, but they, the product itself had either an achievable freeze point um, that was, you know, much lower than zero, but what was achievable with liquid nitrogen or, um, or the actual function uh, was to create an isolation was to solidify something that's in the line. And, you know, the examples that particularly in the oil and gas industry that, that I've seen and used successfully is creating a bitumen plug um, to not have to drain a system. Um, and we've also, as I said, we, we've, we've free, fr frozen an amine system and done testing with a, an oil sands client in that application. So, um, you know, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the client to say yes or no. I think the real answer to evaluating if you have systems that are suitable for freezing is to really reach out and talk to you and your technical team and to evaluate, you know, what's the application? What are we trying to achieve? And can we achieve that result for you? You know, that's, that's a very good point. And an application that I didn't mention, and is very common. So, you know, we, you might have a system that's depressurized and, and that was, you know, a hydrocarbon system, hydrocarbon liquid or hydrocarbon gas. You know, you've drained the hydrocarbon liquid and, and you know, the gas is no longer under pressure. But what happens is there's residual, there's residual gas. And then that's where the hot work creates a concern. So what you can do, depending on the applications, you can backfill, right? You can, you can insert water into that piping. That was once a hydrocarbon gas, create the ice plug. Then you can perform your work without any fear of that residual gas creating a flammable or explosion hazard. Great, great insight because there are lots of clients that want to perform an isolation, but they're like, it's, this is a gas system or what's in there isn't freezable, but can we find a low point where we can effectively insert a slug of water into one point that we can take out later that we can use to freeze to create that freeze plug? And we, we've done that many times as well. Yeah. Um, what about cost, Chris? Like what does is, what is this service cost? You know, the, the service 
it, its cast is heavily weighted towards the nitrogen. Um, a line-freeze jacket, you know, like for us, and a line-freeze jacket per shift is a very low cost, you know, could be anywhere from, you know, 100 to, um, you know, maybe some of the larger ones we might get up into, you know, $1,000 per shift on, on a jacket. So when you compare, if we take a comparison of the traditional method, you know, when we look at hot tapping, line stopping versus, versus line freezing, you know, when you look at the fitting, a line freeze jacket is a fraction of the cost of a hot tap fitting, you know, when, when we look at that scenario. So a lot of the cost is put in the nitrogen, um, you know, and then nitrogen consumption can be very accurate and very cheap depending, you know, if we get the conditions right. If, if we get that no flow condition and I freeze in two hours, you could be looking at another thousand dollars worth of nitrogen and, you know, and then you have, you have that same isolation created that would have taken days with welding, um, NDE, and then, and then line stopping, right? Because when we look at the cost, in comparison to a hot tap, you have the welder fitting, Typically, you got to wait 48 hours before you can do your hot tap. Make sure that that the welds, uh, any you know, hydrogen cracking didn't occur in the welds. So you have your NDE cost. Then you perform your hot tap. You're doing your line stop. You know, you're probably six days into that activity when the line freeze from a comparable day one cost is completed on day one. Right. Um, what about regulatory? From an OHNS standpoint, from an ABSA standpoint, or TSSA, how do they view or regulate this in any way, if, or or not? Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned in the beginning that I, I call line freezing an alternative isolation, and I say that because the OHNS standard um, allows for alternative isolation. So you know, for a worker to work behind the isolation, they require in, in the safety code, a mechanical isolation in order for a worker to work behind it. And a line freeze isn't a mechanical isolation. So they make allowance for alternative isolations and to have an alternative isolation, that procedure must be stamped by a professional engineer. So it is absolutely acceptable to perform work under a line freeze application, as long as you follow the standard, you, you, know, you, you have your procedure stamped and you execute it that way. So that's perfectly acceptable through, you know, through a standard like OHS. And from ABSA, a line freeze, they view line freezing as an alteration. So they do have a process for submitting and getting approval to do a line freeze. Now, the difference being a lot of line freezing we're doing is on water type systems, not expansible systems, which don't fall under the Safety Codes Act. So, you know, 70%, 80%, 90% of the line freezing that we would do is not within ABSA jurisdiction, but they do accept the method and they do have a way to submit and get approval to perform line freezing. So there are processes and procedures to make sure that your, your, uh, your safety codes compliant and your pressure authority compliant. Um, and we're, we help with that in terms of developing the plan. Absolutely. Right. Chris, you've got a, you've got this plug of ice now in the system and you're finished your work. How do you thaw it? Yeah, well, um, it will thaw on its own in, in some cases. So there's, there's really two ways to, to thaw a plug that, you know, I'm sure there, there could be others, but two main ways. Um, the first one is natural thaw. So if you have a system that you're not, you're not holding back pressure, you know, or the, um, you can equalize on both sides. So what happens with the natural thaw is just like the plug forms on the idea of the pipe and grows towards the center, the plug will let go from the outside of the pipe first. So picture you're holding back some fluid, some process, and that's exerting some pressure on that ice plug. Depending on what that pressure is, as soon as the plug lets go, it's going to carry that ice plug downstream. So if you have some sensitive equipment downstream, that could create an issue. Like you have, you know, that this solid ice plug flowing through your piping and you could run into an issue like that. So you would do a natural thaw if your system is depressurized 
or you have the ability to equalize pressure on both sides. So if we use a drain fitting or an, a pressure relief fitting in a case, and we wanted to inject, you know, insert pressure on the up, on the downstream and the upstream side, then you could allow for a natural stop. Um, if you don't have that ability and you are holding back pressure with your plug, then we do, we create a channel, right? So the other way to do it is you take something like a steam hose, uh, steam lens, and you, you thaw the plug in one specific area. So let's take three o'clock position and you'll use that steam lens to thaw the plug and allow a path of your process through the plug, which will then create the equalization before the plug releases from the pipe. So those are the two main ways to release the pressure and to thaw a freeze plug. Awesome. Can anybody do this, Chris? Can, you know, the client rent the jackets and then just decide, hey, my maintenance guys are going to go out and do this. Like, what's the, what's the right way for, so, for clients to select the right personnel, the right contractor with competency, right, you know, in a, in a reputable way? You know, I mentioned earlier that it was simple. You're freezing water. And, and that's true, right? Like, I mean, if you have standing water, you're going to create a plug. The, you know, if you have a perfect scenario, let's put it like this. If you have the perfect scenario to create a freeze plug, um, it does not take much experience or skill to bolt on a jacket and flow nitrogen through it. That's, that's pretty simple. That's pretty easy. Where the experience comes in and where the risk comes in is in first, you know, determining if it's a good application. And you do need experience for that. That's not something that people who are not familiar with line freezing, they're not going to know the distances. They're not going to know about convection current. Um, they're not going to check the NDE and the integrity of your piping. And all those risks that we mentioned earlier, you know, some of those are going to become a reality. And then on the, when you're executing a freeze, we went through a lot of the safety concerns. So there's a lot of planning to go in with there. And then lastly, troubleshooting. You know, like anyone, you know, if everything is going to run smooth, the, the competency required is not that high. But when things don't go according to plan and, and you had your application where there was an open valve, that's really where competency and experience kicks in. So con clients need to be very picky about who they select for line freezing. And they really want to be asking for competency records. You know, the very important question for any services, you know, so, Mr. Subcontractor, how do you prove competency for your employees? Because if they can't answer that question very, you know, very direct and to your satisfaction, you do not want them performing line freezing at your facility. Yeah. And, I, and I, would, I would just add to that, that their competency in this area, and I, think, I would argue in any specialty area, is not a training event. No. Right? This is not... Uh, I'm, my people are competent because here's their certificate because they attended a three-day line freezing course. That isn't competency, and that is not the measurement the client should be using. That's the starting position. Yeah. Right. How, how, how do you evaluate competency in terms of your personnel? So we have, we have a very robust, you know, experience and field level training system. So we start all of our technicians for line freezing, same way we would start any service, but we're talking about line freezing, with an orientation. So we have an orientation video that we put anyone who would be close to line freezing, we put them through that orientation because that gets them their, their day one training where now they can identify some of the hazards and they're aware of the risks of liquid nitrogen. They're aware of the risks of nitrogen gas. Um, and that's where we start them. And that allows them to then go in the field and learn. Just like all of our service lines, we've broken down what it takes to do a line freeze into individual skills, individual competencies, we call them. And, and for line freezing, there's, there's about 40 of these competencies that somebody has to prove. They have to be able to demonstrate that they have the ability to build a nitrogen manifold. 
they have the ability to identify frost lines. I guess something we haven't talked about is frost lines. They have, they have to have that ability, you know, knowing how to vent gas to a safe location, um, knowing the right, you know, fill and vent hose sizes because it, you, you know, your supply hose and your vent hose are going to be different sizes. So all these individual competencies are listed in our system and a technician doesn't gain those competencies until he, he proves to his peers and to his managers that he can perform those activities safely. So you have a competency process that's tied to a number of procedures and tied to training in the, in, in a theoretical fashion, effectively apprenticing in the field against all those competencies. And then our system is actually doing, doing supervisor level observation of those competencies and signing people off one skill set at a time until they're deemed competent across the entire suite of capability. Exactly. And that, that time frame is, is what? That's not a three-day training event and go into the field once. No, we're talking years um, when we, we look at that time frame to go from a level one to a level two. You're probably looking at, you know, a solid three years of, of being involved in line freezing activity to be considered somebody who could take the lead um, on a line freezing job. And that lead would be the person who is directing all of those activities in the field and being the liaison with the client, being the expert on site who is dealing everything from placement to process to venting to setup to uh, evaluating, you know, right freeze locations and suitability and all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of the things that I talked about, you know, we talk about, you know, the op opposing forces of ice expansion, metal contraction, the adhesion of ice to metal itself, which is an integral, an integral part of why a freeze plug works so well. These are not concepts that we hold for the technical director. These are concepts that our lead line freeze technician understands fully and can speak to, you know, to a client or to anyone um, when we talk about this service. These are these are the things that, you know, we, we utilize to, you know, to ensure that our technicians are leads and they are capable of, of completing this service. Our competency system ensures that it's an expert in the field doing this. Exactly. Right. Chris, any final thoughts that, uh, on, on freeze plugs and on the whole process and what clients should be thinking about? Um, I, um, what I would say, and it might be a little bit of a repetition, but it, it would be, you know, uh, something done. I, I know it's not. I know it's not your quote, but one of um, somebody that that you associate with. There, there's a saying about you know being open to the possibilities. So you, you know where I'm going with it is you know your your eyes only see and your ears only hear what your mind is open to. Um, I, I may have butchered that, but that. Oh, you you know, got it. You got it pretty close. You got it pretty close. So. You know, now that clients are aware of line freezing, you know, to be open to the possibility of using this when they would be using a more traditional approach, you know, have, a, have an isolation problem. Okay, now I have a hot work concern, I have residual gas, or I have some sort of concern, you know, and just be open to the idea, hey, let's investigate line freezing. And then before they, you know, try to do that on their own, they reach out. And I think that's the important part is being open to the idea of line freezing and then reaching out to, to us or to, you know, if you have another expert to then evaluate if it's, if it's a good fit. Great. Fantastic having you again, Chris. I really appreciate this. I enjoy these conversations and I think uh, sharing all of these in-depth uh, subject matter expert topics uh, with our audience and our clients is is a has been a really fun thing that we've been doing over the the, the, the past few months. Um, if um, if clients want to reach out and learn more, they can call us, and the toll free number is one eight five five four three six four six six six. 
Uh, the local area code is 780-436-4666. We have offices across Canada. If you know our people in some of our locations, you can certainly call those local numbers. Our, our website is www.innovatorind.com or innovator.ca. And on the website, and you'll find it in many, many places, there's a button you'll find anywhere on our website called Want to Talk. And you can uh, fill in your name, check the box for freeze plugs, and write a comment on what you'd like to talk about, whether it's you just want to learn more or you have an application you want to talk to us about. Uh, go to our website and click Want to Talk, and that will get sent to me, to Chris, to all of the people in the company, and we will get you connected with our freeze plug experts. So, Chris, once again, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure having you as a guest on the show, and uh, I look forward to having you back on our next topic, and I, uh, I guess we need to pick a few more to uh, extract that expertise out of your brain. I, I appreciate it, Don. The pleasure was mine. Thanks again. Till next time, folks. And there you have it. We truly do hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Industrial Innovators Podcast. For more information or to get in touch with either Don or Chris, you can always do so at innovator.ca. Don't forget to leave us a like slash rating. It really does help us a lot. And definitely subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time on the Industrial Innovators Podcast.